Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 609 with Devorah Zach. She is back, and this time we are talking about multitasking. Don't you just love it? It's so fun and thrilling, and you get so much done, and you feel super productive. Or so we think. Devorah is going to debunk some myths and share how single-tasking can help us get all the more done. So you'll learn, one, why multitasking reduces your efficiency, two, how to unplug effectively, And three, why we can get addicted to multitasking. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP609, and you can see that there. Now here's Devorah's story. Devorah Zach is CEO of Only Connect Consulting, a Washington Post bestselling author and global speaker with books in 45 language translations. Her clients include Deloitte, Smithsonian, Delta Airlines, the FDA, Johns Hopkins, and the National Institutes of Health. She's been featured by the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, U.S. News and World Reports, Forbes, Self, Red Book, Fast Company, and many others. She's the author of Networking for People Who Hate Networking, Managing for People Who Hate Managing, and Single Tasking. Big thanks to Devorah for sharing her wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here is Devorah. Devorah, welcome back to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. It's a pleasure to be back with you. Thank you. Well, I'm excited to hear you. You do a lot of interesting work and research and speaking and training. And tell me, have you had any cool, insightful new discoveries since the last time we spoke? Oh, yeah. I've, I've, I've had so many cool <laughs> discoveries since we last spoke, mostly about how to transform uh, the virtual environment into one where people really can connect on deep, meaningful ways, whether it's networking or interpersonal connections, that it can be done. And I've had a great time uncovering those possibilities and helping people feel more connected during this challenging time. Well, that sounds so good. We might have to have a third appearance because that's uh, right up our alley. But we're all prepped up to talk about single tasking today. But if you found some tools, and maybe drop those in the favorite things and, and integrate some of the, the goodness here as a sneak peek. So I want to talk to you about single tasking, sort of what's the big idea here and, and how do you define single tasking versus multitasking? Like what counts versus doesn't count when we are terming something multitasking? Well, just let's start with understanding the foundation of my work, which is that multitasking is a myth. It's actually impossible to do two simultaneously competing activities in your brain at the same time. So 
When people claim to be multitasking, what is actually happening is what the neuroscientists call task switching. And when we're task switching, what's happening neurologically is our brain is very, very rapidly moving back and forth between tasks. And that has all kinds of negative impacts on our lives internally and externally. It makes us less productive, which is interesting because the big reason people say that they quote unquote need to multitask is because they have so much to do. So um, doing that makes us unable to enter an immersion state or a flow state because by definition, we're not focusing deeply on one task in front of us. It lowers IQ and here's the biggie. It even shrinks the gray matter in the brain. So multitasking isn't really multitasking. It's task switching and it has a whole range of negative effects on us. Okay. Well, those sound negative. So could you share with us any of the most hard hitting research, like the, the alarming, you know, numbers or studies or stats that would make us say, whoa, I'm convinced I got to cut this out. There's so much. (laughs) I think that what is alarming and overwhelming is that this international research done over the past 10 years in the highest esteemed institutions and organizations are all in agreement that they've all been consistent, that attempting to do more than one thing at a time is neurologically impossible and that it does everything from harming our relationships. It makes us uh, much less respectful than we used to be of people who are standing in front of us engaged in a conversation. And it also makes us feel professionally because we're not able to maintain focus on one thing at a time. And just as a quick aside, when you said uh, how the virtual environment was interesting and maybe it links to single tasking, it absolutely does because it's getting even harder now uh, because we're all sitting behind screens so much of the time. Oh, it's yeah. very tempting to, to allow ourselves to be distracted. Oh, totally. It's sort of like right now we can see each other, but you don't really know what I'm looking at. <laughs> I'm looking at my prepared questions. But uh, I, I could be looking at any number of other interesting news articles or, or Facebook or, or you name it while supposedly having a meeting and I, I'm not really there at all. And we have all kinds of reasons for that. We can, we can say, oh, I'm, I'm very effective at doing this. I can get away with it or I'm being more efficient or the meeting's not interesting anyway. But one thing I can say is that it, just to do a reality check for ourselves, we know when someone else is not giving us their full attention when they oh, there's yes, a pause between a question and answer and, when they ask uh-huh. to repeat uh, so we're not we're not tricking anyone either when we're <laughs> when we're <laughs> living distracted lives i call it uh, sbs scattered brain syndrome that we're de- dealing with these days sometimes people say to me but devora i can multitask i can go for a run and listen to music or i can empty the dishwasher and talk on the phone so that's an important point to to raise because Uh, There's a little section in my book called when multitasking isn't multitasking. So it's only considered multitasking if the two activities are competing for the same brain space. So if, for example, I'm on a conference call and I'm squeezing a stress ball, that's totally fine. It's when I'm on a conference call and returning emails that things start to fall apart. Yeah. Well, well, so so it's like we can't compete for the same channel or function stream or capability. I guess, are there, how might we segment that? So running and listening is fine. Stress ball and online meeting is fine. I guess one is physical and one is mental. How do we think about the channels that we have available that are distinct from one another? It's a good question and an important question because we tend to 
err in the direction of thinking that things are not competing for the same side of our brain. So for example, if I'm driving in my car and at home on a route I take all the time, then I may not need as much of my conscious part of my brain as if I'm on a business trip driving in the rain in the dark and somewhere I've never been. So we tend to overestimate our ability to do two things at once. So I caution people to really think hard about are two tasks truly separate? And as a good example, something that people think they can do is walk down a busy street while talking on the phone. And in fact, we're all aware by now of the terrible dangers of texting while driving, but a, a more recent phenomenon is texting while walking. And that it sounds silly, but in fact, pe- there people fall down staircases, walk into traffic, bash into other mm. people just because they they think, oh, I, I can handle it. I can do it. So and really to spend time in self-evaluation about not only what can I physiologically handle doing two things at once, but also maybe I'm diminishing my life experiences personally and mm-hmm. professionally by deciding that I'm never where I'm at. Like, so part of it is being where you are. Like, how about when I work with coaching clients, I often encourage them to take a walk even for 10 or 15 minutes outside without their phone and see how that experience is different from what a lot of us have gotten used to. And the other side of all these studies is they've discovered that even if we spend 15 minutes a day being quote unquote non-productive, like if we're doing a crossword puzzle or just taking a walk outside, that that actually increases our productivity by 25% overall. So the good news, there's lots of good news too, is that by giving ourselves some downtime, for example, there was a Harvard Business Review study that found that if you take lunch, like even half an hour at work without doing work at the same time, that you're more productive over the course of the day. So if you got to feel guilty about, oh, I'm not working hard enough, just reverse that guilt and feel guilty if you're not spending some time, I call it time shifting, shifting down your time so that you can do things that maybe seem idle, but actually are very rejuvenating. Oh, Devorah, I love that. And any encouragement you can give me to uh, play a game of Fortnite or uh, have a nap <laughs> or, or, oh, or take I'm, lunch I'm in the middle of the day. That. Fortnite, actually, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was like, she's got it all. She's got it all prepared. But and I love the point about making a, about sort of just diminishing the quality of your life when you're you're not paying as much attention. I remember, boy, when my buddy Muhammad was in town from from Dubai, he was on the podcast. And we were just sort of walking in Chicago. We're, fi- we're trying to find a place to eat. That's the goal. We're going to eat lunch. But I was just so happy to see him and, and having so much fun with the conversation that I actually made the conscious choice. It's like, I'm going to devote zero attention to looking for a place to eat <laughs> and all attention to, to chatting with and enjoying Muhammad. And, uh, and it was funny. We, we walked around kind of aimlessly for a good while, which was fine by me. I'm sure any of the food would be perfectly adequate. And and then we, we happen to bump into a great spot. But I, I think that's a good point in terms of we can be, without even being aware of it, diminishing our life experience by not, you know, thoughtfully, conscientiously choosing, this is the one thing I'm doing now. That's right. We tend to blame our technology for the interruptions. There's a section in my single tasking book called, If Your Phone's So Smart, Can You Teach It to Heal? And it compares uh, smartphones mm-hmm. to puppies. So we've all been around puppies that are cute and adorable and lovely and around puppies that are out of control and jump up on the table and don't leave you alone. And who is responsible for that? Is it the dog or is it the owner? So I think we all kind of know it's the owner's responsibility to keep their puppies, you know, to train them so that they're good members of a shared society or sidewalk. (laughs) And we do the same things with our phones. So 
I'll maybe you and I are meeting for lunch and we haven't seen each other in a year or two. And I'm like, oh, darn, I can't believe my my phone is going off again. Just a minute. Just a minute. This is so annoying. Oh, no, here's another text. So in reality, technology is obviously can be a great friend of ours and super useful. However, we need to be in charge of it rather than letting it run away from us. And uh, there's all kinds of tips and techniques in my book about uh, ways to manage technology personally and professionally. So I'll tell you a fun one. Since you were talking about going to lunch with a friend, I'll tell you a fun one, which is that we can go out with a group and some, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, so socially distanced if necessary. Mm-hmm. And everyone puts their screens, anything they have with a screen onto a chair off to the side. And the first one to touch the pile of phones or screens treats everyone. <laughs> That's good. A little pressure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a little peer pressure. So, and there's a version of that you can use for work, which is, which I encourage people to do, which is to have, if you have a team meeting, is to give everyone a, or have everyone, if you're working remotely, a, an agenda and a pen or a pencil. And the only electronics that's allowed to be on is whatever you're connecting through, whether it's Zoom or another platform, and make the meeting half the length of time with everyone committing to be fully engaged. And you'll be amazed how much more efficient you are and how much more community you build and how more co- better connections because people are there actually together instead of being a million different places at once. Mm-hmm. I like that so much. Well, so we're going to dig into some particulars when it comes to, you know, single tasking and how to do it uh, optimally and sort of avoid the multitasking and the distractions and technology as being one of them. I I got a real chuckle. You've got an appendix called Retorts to Multitask Hardliners. And I I think uh, I've been here before and I think some listeners were probably here now. And say, okay, yeah, I think I've maybe heard about some of that research. And and that might be true for, you know, the population at at large and maybe the majority of people in a given study. But you know what? That's really just how I like to operate. And it really works well for me. And boy, I feel so productive. So multitasking works for me, but maybe not most people lay it on us. So I would say, first of all, what kind of mistakes are you potentially making? Like if you're responding to an email and in a team meeting, uh, are you fully engaged? Are you answering the questions? Are Did you hear the questions? <laughs> and at the end of the day, how much have you actually gotten done? And then compare, just test a little bit, just spend an hour to focus on whatever is at hand. And I really encourage people to start small and you'll be blown away by how different your work is and how different your mood is when you focus on one thing at a time. Another piece of resistance people have to the concept of single tasking is they think that it implies that we're somehow less productive or we get less done or we we don't have as many capabilities. And it's not about that at all. You can get 10, 12 things done in the course of a day while single tasking at any given time. So it's not saying you can only do one thing in a 10 hour period. Maybe you could do one thing for a 20 minute period and that's all you're doing. And then you switch to another thing. And it's that conscious choice that a lot of us aren't making these days about what am I committing to in this moment? Am I going to watch my kid play a sport or am I editing a legal document for tomorrow's meeting? So just pick one for that time. It doesn't mean that you don't care about the other choice. It just means that's not your choice in this specific time period. Now, another resistance people have is they just don't have the tools, like we're overwhelmed. So set up systems that will not require that you have superhuman strength to overcome temptation. So 
example is if you're driving in the car, we all know it's, we shouldn't text while we're driving, but it's just this once and I'm at, and I'm at a stoplight and I'm late and I'm lost and I'm going to an important meeting and I'll keep looking up. Like we always have reasons to convince ourselves to do things that aren't maybe in our best interest, but don't require yourself to combat those reasons. Set up, I call it a fence, set up a fence to mitigate the uh, temptation in the first place. So when you get into your car, toss your phone in the backseat under a pile of coats and start driving. And you'll yeah, be cursing like yourself. Partway through, you'll be like, ah. <laughs> but in the end, you'll get there alive. <laughs> yeah. What is it? Ulysses or Odysseus kind of getting himself tied to his boat uh, so he could hear the siren song, but not be tempted to, you know, go toward it in his destruction. It's, it's sort of like you just decide you cut off that option. It's not available to you. <laughs> uh, so there it is. Great analogy, right? Cool. And so I want to get your take in terms of sometimes multitasking feels really good. Is there some neuroscience or some dopamine or neurotransmitter stuff going on in terms of of the, the sensations and, and how it feels to switch or, or, or do a lot of things quickly? What's going on there? So our brains crave novelty. So if I'm sitting in my computer inputting data for three hours and then something pops up on my screen that's different, my brain is pretty psyched. So there is something to that. Uh, and then what we would do then is well, there's various techniques we can use, but one of them is to turn off all auditory bings and all visual pop-ups so that when we're focusing on writing something that we're completely focused so we don't get that novelty in there. Another is to say, give yourself treats. Like if I'm going to work for 45 minutes, then after that I can do something that's completely different. Create that novelty for yourself. And you might be surprised at how deeply you go into a thought state. And so I recommend actually setting an alarm so you don't have to keep looking at the clock or wondering how long it is. And then when your time goes up for doing your, your tough task, the harder one, then even if you're like, oh, I feel like I could go longer, it's better to stop and take a break. Because if we stop a task while we're still excited about it, the next time we engage in it, we're much more likely to be have a positive feeling about it, as opposed mm. to if we work and work and work until we're just hating our jobs and then you're going to avoid it the next day. Boy, that is just a powerful reframe for me personally. Thank you. To stop when you're still excited about it means you've got some enthusiasm ready for next time. As And sometimes I think it's, it's <laughs> I don't know how much longer I'm going to be enthusiastic about this. I better milk it for all I can right now because it may never come back. You know, like if I feel like doing my taxes right now, that is a rare event. <laughs> so I better really run after it until it, it's absolutely gone. But instead, I should stop when I've still got some enthusiasm left. That's right. It's like an old saying about a party. Leave while you're still having fun. Uh, but you, what you can also do is to, to do a little self-awareness about why do you think this time working on your taxes felt okay? Was, did you happen to have music on in the background? Were there, there were no distractions? Was it, were you sitting in a different environment? Was it that you did it following exercise? I mean, just trying to try and identify maybe what made it different so you can replicate that. And other times mm -hmm. it's just a matter of, you don't feel like doing it. You force yourself to, and 15 minutes into it, it's not so bad. And you're in the, in the flow. Yeah. Okay. Very nice. Well, so I'd love to get your take here. When I talk, you mentioned sort of setting an alarm or an amount of time. I'm going to do, do this for this window. 
you've got an approach called uh, the cluster tasking technique. Tell us how this works. So many of us have an activity or two that takes over our day and it prevents us from getting any of our bigger work done. So as a way of example, for a lot of people, it's messaging, whether emails or IMs or uh, texting. And we can spend all day messaging and then we never get to the the bulk of, of what we're here to do. A, a study, which wasn't even that recent, it was a few years ago, so I bet these numbers have gone up, found that we look at our phones an average of 150 times a day for a total of four hours. So what we can do instead is to put those tasks, that repetitive task, and for, for right now, we're just going to call it messaging. It could be a different task for you. And we're going to find two or three cluster times during the day where that's all you do. So maybe it's right when you get into the office in the morning, uh, right after lunch and maybe 4.30 near the end of the day. And so for, and you can decide this is a half an hour block, a 45 minute block and a 20 minute block or whatever you decide. And so during those times, all you were doing is reading and responding to messages. And during the rest of your workday, you're not looking at your messages. And this is a, a tough pill to swallow at first for pe- many people because you're like, well, I have to be available all the time. And so I'll address that in a minute. However, you're, st- you're not like going off the grid for two months. If you do it three times a day, you're only going to be not looking at your messages if for a couple hours at a time. And as a bonus, when you are looking at your messages, that's all you're doing. So you're not distracted. So you make fewer mistakes and and committing to two different things at one time or writing the wrong date for an event or so you're way more efficient overall. So that's a great simple technique to try. A lot of my clients say it's worked really well for them. I like that. Yeah, thanks. And you give it a try. It's very useful. So people say to me sometimes that they need to be available to others. And so they they have to always have their phones on and nearby. And a, a generally true rule of thumb is if you try to be everywhere for everyone all the time, you're never anywhere for anyone with full focus. Yeah. So you can either do one thing well or two things poorly at any given moment. And when people say, oh, you need to be available all the time, if I'm coaching someone and I might ask some follow-up questions, like what do you think they really mean? They really mean that you follow through on what you say you're going to do, that you're going to be responsive, that you're clear about deadlines. And people get used to the idea that even though you may not be available to me every minute of the day, when we're talking, I get your 100% full attention. So our conversations are more efficient and shorter. And I get the picture of how helpful it is. And there's going to be exceptions. So if if you're run a conference center and there's a huge conference that day, you might need to have your phone with you all day, but just to be aware that there's exceptions, but most of the time to err in the direction of saying, here's when I'm doing these particular repetitive tasks. Yeah. Well, and I like that, that turn of a phrase there in terms of you can do one thing well or two things poorly. And I think it's, it's possible, although rare that, you know what, doing two things poorly is the right choice right now <laughs> in terms of there's sort of a mandatory conference call of of little value to you and to your team but it's you know hey everyone's got to do this thing so it's like okay so you know so you just got to do it but your desk is also a mess <laughs> and even just a little bit of attention is going to make it better so you can make the conscientious choice that i know what's happening here i'm going to do two things poorly and that's the right answer but most of the time it's not And there's also ways to work within that situation. So for example, if, again, when I'm working with clients and if they have exactly what you just described, a mandatory 
department-wide meeting that's two hours every Thursday or whatever it is, that this is an opportunity to, in some cases, delegate that responsibility to maybe someone who works for you who could actually learn from the call and it would be a benefit for him or her to be on that call. Uh, You could say to the group, I'm available for the first half of the call, so the items that I can contribute to, is it possible to discuss those in the first half? Uh, you know, this isn't always possible, but I'm just saying to always explore options uh, to so that you really are where you need to be. And and sometimes also you might think, oh, this call is boring. And so you start organizing your desk and then you might miss something. And maybe there was something interesting that just happened. Uh, but one thing for take. sure is that if you're on one of those calls, you can tell when someone's doing something else. And it's not impressing you. They're not impressing you with their professionality when you know they're distracted. So part of it might just be building a reputation as someone who's present. Mm -hmm. Understood. Yeah. Thank you. I'm a tough cookie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, absolutely. That is true. And I mean, you know, I think there's there's some exceptions to every principle or guideline like, hey, hundreds of people are out there. Everyone's muted. You know, okay. But even then you have options as opposed to it's either or doing two things poorly or, or, or giving this my full attention, you can get creative and say, well, maybe I'm here for this part. Maybe I can delegate. So there, there's many ways to slice it, which I like. Actually, one thing I heard recently is that doodling can be a very useful device in staying focused on the conversation. That doodling doesn't take up a conscious part of your brain and kind of releasing that extra energy just by drawing images or on a notepad can help people stay focused. That's another new technique I, I learned recently. Well, and, and so if, if this is, if you got some lifelong multitaskers and this is kind of challenging in terms of training the attention to, to zero in on, on the one task, how do you recommend we develop that skill, that focus, that discipline? So there's really two parts of our lives to speak broadly that we can apply single tasking. One is internally, and we've talked a little bit about that, like in our brains, how to manage our brains. And the other is externally, how to manage our environment. So the first thing I'd say is start small and pick something that you can manage and that you think is doable and also start with something tangible. So we have these smartphones and they're incredible. As a matter of fact, I heard someone recently say, uh, really the phone is just a rarely used app on the smartphone. <laughs> mm-hmm. They do so much more than just phone calling now. And so that can be very convenient. So it's also our alarm clock. It's also our camera. It's also our flashlight. It's so many things. And I encourage people to look for places to unbundle some of the potential areas of usefulness on our phone because it can lead to distraction. And a good example is we all know, and every sleep scientist in the world would tell you the worst thing you can do before going to sleep is to look at your phone for all kinds of reasons. It can, because of the blue light wakes us up because it could be a stressful text popping up, uh, a news report we don't want to see. But when we use our phones as our alarm clocks, that's the last thing many of us do. So how about investing in a cool old fashioned alarm clock that you can play your favorite song on to wake you up and see what it's like to wake up and fall asleep in a relaxed atmosphere is one example. And so looking for ways to unbundle, like when I teach seminars, I time people a lot of times for timed activities. And for a while I used my phone because there was a stopwatch on it. And then I realized that I wasn't unbundling. So I got just the old fashioned kind of uh, handheld stop. What's it called? A handheld stopwatch stopwatch. Right. And it's great. 
and it keeps me focused. So look for ways to, to help yourself succeed. You know, I've done that before with a stopwatch. I had it around my neck and just even feeling the pressure of it around my neck was a little reminder. No, no, I'm on the clock. For this <laughs> That's <now>. good. <laughs> well, and so then I'd love your, your view then if folks think, you know, hey, I'm too busy for single tasking. I have to multitask. Then a part of the game is really just identifying, well, hey, no, what's truly the most important thing? Like what is really worth that? Also to learn some of the science because you're actually too busy to multitask. Okay. You will be way more efficient in getting things done by focusing on one thing at a time. And in my book, Single Tasking, I have some examples of going through a typical day while you're attempting to multitask versus single tasking and seeing how the time flow works. And it's based on reality. I mean, just through a lot of different people's experiences and it's remarkable. It's, it's so we started off with like, oh, there's this bad news, but now we have this great news that you can live a more sane, structured life by doing one thing at a time. Well, well tell us, I mean, just how many hours a day you think are at stake here in terms of uh, excellent single tasking versus poor multitasking? What kind of a, a lift or a gain or a time savings you think this adds up to on a daily basis? Uh, maybe all our waking hours. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, it, it depends. It depends what measurement you're using for what's a good use of time. So do you, if you consider a good use of time being with a significant other for 45 minutes for dinner without anyone looking at any screens and talking about interesting topics beyond just the, the mundane, uh, do you consider a good use of time to be taking your dog for a walk outside? So it depends how you define it. What I will say is that in terms of work tasks, that there have been, again, studies that show that when someone is having a pure focus on one activity work at work at a time, that they're more creative, more structured in, in their output. They get it done in less, fewer hours. And so it really works in your favor to be fully focused. And some people say, well, I, I can't focus anymore. Like I've lost my ability to focus because that's the kind of world we're living in. So when people say that, I encourage them or you, as you're listening now, to think of something you love to do. Just think in your mind, if you're listening to this podcast, of something you enjoy that really brings you happiness. And when I ask that question uh, with people in the room with me, I get all kinds, so many different types of answers. Maybe it has to do with uh, doing an, an athletic activity or an instrument or a craft or a conversation with someone you care about. Or And what we find is, is that there's a correlation between that act, whatever activity you, you thought in your mind or said out loud and the fact that you're totally focused on it, that it focuses you when you're doing it, that nothing else exists in the world. That if you love going to museums, then when you're in a museum, that's the only thing that exists in the world. So, or reading a book or running a race or whatever it is, that's part of the appeal. And so it also shows that you can do it. You can focus. If you thought of even one thing in your life that you really get fulfilled doing, then there's a correlation in that and being able to focus your brain on other activities. And that's called mental elasticity. Mm -hmm. I love it. Well, tell us then if, let's say there's some interruptions outside your control, you know, a, a sudden emergency, an interruption. How do you recommend we refocus? Okay, great. So if, I'm glad you asked that because there are emergencies and we want to go with the flow when there's an emergency <laughs> and it doesn't like, negate everything else you're working on when there's not an emergency. However, we're always looking for ways to manage emergencies. So an emergency can be big or small. So a smaller type of emergency is you're being interviewed on a podcast, let's say, and on someone and you're and you're working from home and someone barges in and 
starts yelling in your office, for your home office, for example. So that would be an emergency you need to deal with. But we always want to take it one step back and say, is there anything potential I could have done to anticipate this a possible emergency and how to make sure it doesn't happen? So I encourage people to put very simple, low-tech technique, put post-it notes on your door. If you have a door where you're working at home or you know, virtually or in a, a shared office and make a note saying this color post note means don't come in under any circumstances. This one means come in if it's super important. And this one means I just closed the door because I don't like the breeze. Come visit and we'll chat a little bit. So uh, to set, again, it has to be setting up systems. Now, let's say there is something that distracts you and you asked about pulling back in. How do you get focused again? And I would say taking some a little in-between time, like maybe I got so scattered or overwhelmed by the emergency that I, I can't seem to focus back on the work I was doing before. So that's a perfect time for me to let myself go for a walk or to get some, you know, talk to someone or get some fresh air or, uh, to reboot. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you. Well, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. One thing I'd like to share is that single tasking is a relatively new idea, and it's also a super old idea. It's in our nature. So when we were hunting and gathering, we wouldn't have done for well if we were distracted all the time. So it's kind of part of our ingrained human success. It's ingrained in us to be successful by single tasking. And it's also a new concept to a lot of us today, this day and age. And so to be kind to yourself when you try these techniques and to give yourself plenty of space to mess it up and to take two forward steps forward and one step back. And I, there are a lot of activities suggested and also that you can actually use in the book, single tasking. So part the first part of the battle is convincing yourself that it's worth a try. And the second part is learning how to do it. Just like some people are organizing and structure their physical environment. And for others of us, it just seems so impossible. So there's techniques that can help you be successful. So I wish you all the best of luck in it. (laughs) You'll be happy that you did. Well, now can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? I love quotes so much. I change my favorite quotes all the time. Okay, here's one of my favorite quotes right now. I'm sorry, it's Stephen Pressfield. Are you paralyzed with fear? That's a good sign. Like self-doubt, fear is an indicator. Fear tells us what we have to do. Remember one rule of thumb. The more scared we are of a work or calling, the more sure we can be that we have to do it. All right. And how about a favorite study or experiment, a bit of research? It's a scientist named Douglas Merrill, and he works on this area of focusing our brains. And the quote is, everyone knows kids are better at multitasking. The problem, everyone is wrong. (laughs) That's fun. And a favorite book? The Phantom Tollbooth. Mm-hmm. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job or to help virtually remote working folk connect all the better. My favorite tool in helping virtual folks connect all the better is in building connections among them through embracing technology instead of fighting against it. So I teach some classes called You Are Not Alone. And instead of saying, here are all the things we can't do. We take whatever technology each of us has and we figure out what we can do based on what's right in front of us. And it sounds simple, but it makes a huge difference in how we build connections with each other and how we accept what the possibilities are, given what the reality of the situation is. Mm-hmm. Is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? You hear them quote it back to you frequently? Yes. Especially for people that are in 
fields like like ours, whether you're interviewing people or working with people or inspiring people or writing books for people, what's a great rule of thumb? Because there's so many so-called experts out there. And I love this one. Eleanor Glynn, an, an author. Life is short. Avoid causing yawns. <laughs> be interesting. Be fun. Be unique. Be quirky. Engage people. Life is short. We don't want to be the cause of any yawns. Okay. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? My website is myonlyconnect.com, M-Y-O-N-L-Y, connect.com. And it has tons of samples from media, podcasts, TV shows, newspapers, magazines, and also information about my three different books. Networking, People Hate Networking, just came out in a second edition, has tons of new chapters and sections that people are finding really useful in this day and age. Oh, great. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yes. It's another quote, but it's also a call to action. It's um, from Philo of Alexandria. This is especially important today. Be kind for everyone you know is fighting a great battle. Mm-hmm. Well, Devorah, thank you. This has been a treat and I wish you all the best in your single tasking adventures. Thank you so much. You too. I hope it works well for you. <laughs> I really appreciated Devorah's take there about how our brains crave that novelty and the multitasking delivers a bit more of that, but you got to watch yourself to see, is it just the feeling or are you actually being more productive and to make sure you're, you're measuring that appropriately and to see, is it better to do one thing well or two things poorly? Most of the time, it's better to do one thing well, although I still say there are maybe some times where it's good to do two things poorly. Uh, but be judicious and don't don't deceive yourself, delude yourself into thinking that just because it feels more productive, it's more actually, you know, more productive. So again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP609. If you haven't already, I recommend you push subscribe. You'll catch our next guest. It's Tanya Israel. She has got some pro tips for how do you engage in conversations with people who disagree with you? Hope to get you there. And peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.